To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts, and this week, from cult figure to cult following, Wild Wild Country's Ma Anand Sheila returns to her native India. Who is she today? We'll talk about Netflix's Searching for Sheila. Plus, a woman confined to her apartment witnesses a terrible crime across the street. We'll review the new Amy Adams movie on Netflix, The Woman in the Window. Join me to get that done and more is true crime author, former TV journalist, host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, and resident cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hi, Lara. Hey, Rebecca. I'm also now a certified chipmunk extricator. What? Fantastic. Wait, certified? You Wait, have a- save it for the podcast. Let me introduce Toby real quick. <laughs> all right, all right. Because all right. also with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, a podcast out on iHeart in season two right now, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Mayor of Easttown hater, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, I gave Mayor of Easttown a thumbs up. <laughs> no one I needs think that's to been know. lost to history. No I guess it has been. Well, yeah. you gave it a thumbs up on, on the main Yeah, midway show. through. I gave it a thumbs down on the last episode, and boy, My favorite did I hear thing about that's it. happening yeah. in our Facebook group right now are all the people who feel personally hurt mm-hmm. by your review of the <laughs> final. It's like listening to Toby's review hurt me. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's like this number two complaint. Like, if people aren't complaining about Rebecca's laugh. Yeah, her voice. Which is yeah. fucking bullshit anyway. They they get upset because their opinion doesn't match our opinion on something, and that's fine. Totally. You don't have to like the stuff we like or hate, you know, hate the stuff that we hate, but... I don't know if that's a reason to, like, hate us. I'm just going to say. Sorry, we both didn't like manslaughter. You're the one person in the world who did. You're <laughs> unique. Go with it. I should just say our listeners should take, um, like, use as a model the fact that I have now become internet best friends with Payne Lindsay, a person whose podcast I have not traditionally liked on this program. We mm-hmm. can like different things and still be friends. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think there was, like, anything personal about <laughs> You're alone. <laughs> I think I, I think I was just yeah. I was just Toby's people were letting me know Pennsylvania subcultures is well known <laughs> that I was I was on an island. He's very anti Delco apparently. <laughs> so yeah. Laura, what is on the water? What is going on with your chipmunk hunt before we start this podcast? Well, my cats have apparently figured out how to capture a chipmunk in the catio and carry it up the little ramp into the house. Live and then bring it at this point? Yes. Or? Oh, live. Oh, very live. Very right. live. Into our living room. So the other day, like, I had gone for this, like, huge walk. I was feeling all invigorated. I'm sitting at the counter eating an apple, and I hear this, like, meep, 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 meep. I'm like, this is really loud. And I go in the living room, and the Rocky and um, Pippin are just, like, sitting there. So I give them, like, they have their paper. They like to play with big pieces of paper that come in the chewy box. And they're just looking at it. And I pick up the paper and this chipmunk goes like flying across the living room under the couch. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I got the lacrosse stick always on hand (laughs) for these situations. The paper bag. 
And it took some work on day one, but I got the chipmunk into the paper bag with the lacrosse stick outside. And then today, again, Chippy Chippy is back in the house. I'm like, do they not see freaking Catio? Oh, my Um, God. This one, a little more dramatic because it ran down towards the front door and I opened the door and tried to chase it with the lacrosse stick and it like ran up my pants. Oh, and my I was God. like, wait, what? what? Ran up your pants? pants? Inside or yes. outside? Outside, but oh. I could feel its little legs. So it ran up your was leg like, outside of your Toby pants. and I were disappointed that it was on the outside. No, of the it, it was on the, the outside. The only got to second base, not third. <laughs> <laughs> Over the clothes stuff, it's like high school. <laughs> oh, it was, it, but it was, and you could feel it. And the uh, chipmunk <laughs> ran outside. <laughs> Rocky and Buddy ran outside. Rocky got the chipmunk in like one fell swoop, and I saved it. I think well, we that's where well, we know to that. Out. Well, we know that the door was open, so I so he ran out and escaped the house, and I was like, oh shit, Rocky has escaped. Mm. So then I got him, and he was so mad, he just like howled when I picked him up. He was yeah. like. Rah! Well, we know that chipmunk wasn't going for the nuts. No. No. I, so I have two follow-up questions before we start the podcast. One, why isn't your catio more chipmunk-like sealed? Like, what is going on with neighbor the cat's carpentry? cats like it that way. And two, um, Kevin, remember when we got the bird inside of our dining room a couple weeks ago? Because I leave the screen what? door open to our deck a little bit for uh, the dogs. The, yeah. You open the thing, the bird flew out. It's, it's not like the time that no. Toad came in. But it was in. But it was the in there out. all day. Like, like oh. I, I kept hearing all day. I was working. I kept hearing this, like something like this. And I was like, "That's a weird noise coming from the dining room right behind me." And then I went at like three o'clock. It was a bird. It was yeah. like in our, so I get it. Wildlife in the house is scary, but you need to seal up that catio, Lara. Well, the problem. So the catio has like chicken wire on the outside, uh, and they that's, can just come in. Yeah, that's big enough yeah. for a chipmunk to crawl through. Because we ha- also had a bird that got in on the porch. Because it comes, the catio comes to the porch to my office, and that again required the lacrosse stick net. Yeah. Well, now we know. No one in your family plays lacrosse, but we know why you have that stick. Yep. Kevin has a great joke about lacrosse, right? I, yeah, I always say... It's more judgy than a joke. <laughs> I always see some guy walking along the road on his way somewhere with a lacrosse stick. You know what I've never seen? Two guys walking somewhere <laughs> with a lacrosse stick. I think you're so implying... always one guy taking a lacrosse stick, throwing it off the wall, waiting for someone to come along. I think you're implying that lacrosse players don't have any friends. Is that what you're implying? No one uses it. It's the sport of the future. <laughs> And always will be. <laughs> it's actually the sport of the past. I, there's a lot of people. Okay, American I know. Sport, Don't but... at me, lacrosse people. <laughs> God damn it. Listen, my, my best friend's son is a lacrosse player, and I call him lacrosse douche all the time, and he's fine with it. Okay. Are you guys ready to record a podcast? I guess so. Toby's putting his headphones on. Yeah, now, ready. Now, now that they've returned to the microphones after the lacrosse stuff. Toby's had now finally hit record on his. We, no, we got it. I had a breach. I had oh. to close the door. Was it a squirrel crawling up your leg? It was a squirrel-sized cat. Over oh, the clothes wow. stuff. <laughs> Cover your nuts. <laughs> All right. Leading off. Manon Sheila, famous for being Bhagwan Rajneesh's top aide, is facing serious charges of both fraud and attempted murder. Ma Adnan Sheila and 10 to 15 top Rajneeshi leaders have been fired by Bhagwan and kicked off the Central Oregon branch. In the documentary Wild Wild Country, a new generation was introduced to Ma Anan Sheila, the pugnacious second-in-command of the Rajneeshis, a cult which built a commune and faced off with their Oregon neighbors in the 1980s. Her break with Bhagwan Rajneesh preceded the collapse of the commune and her arrest on charges of arson, attempted murder, and the poisoning of salad bars in nearby restaurants. 
people who know me don't misunderstand me. My father felt I must speak about it. That's when I decided to write the book. After the documentary aired, Sheila went on a press tour of her native India to promote her memoir. Greeted by admiring fans and suspicious reporters, Sheila projected an image of a woman both enlightened by her experience and unrepentant of her past. I fully understand that you all have opinion of Sheila from your own experience, own vision or how you feel about me. In Netflix's Searching for Sheila, we see more of her current life in Switzerland and the many reactions to her renewed celebrity. Can she reclaim a reputation as a feminist leader or must she be forever denounced for the crime for which she served her time? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about some plot points from Searching for Sheila. So to remain totally spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. So, Lara, this is a really odd like concept for documentary, right? We're taking a character from another documentary and then just sort of doing like the equivalent of like a crime writers on after show about mm-hmm. that character. What do you think of this idea of like following Sheila around like a where is she now kind of like perspective? I mean, it's basically just kind of like an addendum to Wild Wild Country. And I don't think anybody who hasn't watched that would actually be interested in watching this because there's not really any context given. It's kind of like a freeform sort of documentary style production where we're kind of following along and listening to her, but there's nobody narrating. There's no signposting. So I, I think if you are interested in her, and I did find her to be an interesting character. I mean, this is definitely short. It's like an hour of where is she now? What is she doing? And oh, she wrote a book. And now she's on a book tour. So I mean, that's basically the gist of this. Toby, what are your thoughts on the whole concept behind this documentary? I could see where on paper, it might have seemed like a good idea. I think, at least in my impression, she's like not nearly as interesting outside of uh, Rajneesh Purim. I mean, she just, I, I don't know. I, I was watching it. And I kept waiting for you know, some kind of introspection or, or insight or whatever. And and it seems like her basic take is, I spent some time in jail, so now I'm innocent. And people who want me to be repenting or whatever is actually, it's because they're not introspective in their own lives enough. And so it's being projected onto me to be more introspective than I need to be. And it, it just, it just seems like this long dodge. Um, so it, it just, you know, again, I could see where it's like, oh, let's follow her around. I bet she'll do something crazy or say confrontational <laughs> things or something. And they go around and she's she's just not that way really at all. So it was just it was a little weird. So, Kevin, one of the things that I kept thinking about watching this is she's the right person for me, at least, to pick for something like this, which I agree is kind of a, a novel and strange you mean concept. A, where are they now? Yeah. Like, yeah. as you know, I famously love Sheila, even though you keep telling me she tried to poison people. I'm like, doesn't matter. She invented the term tough titties and she is like... The, I don't know if she actually did. Yeah, but she's the top. Like, I always assert that almost every successful cult has a female second in command. And like, she's like, for me, like the best example of that. Mm-hmm. I don't like her less after watching this, but I'm not sure if that's what the documentary wants me to feel. What do you think? Well, I think I enjoyed this. I don't know. (laughs) 
I mean, everybody's right. Like, I'm not sure if we got any new insight into Sheila. Although she's one of the few characters that we have come across in true crime, you know, in the past couple of years that probably would be worth a where are they now, right? Or a kind of a follow-up and how else? Who else would you do that with? Maybe Joe Exotic, although right now he's still in prison. I mean, yeah. there's a couple of, you know, um, Mommy, Dead, and Dearest, those. What about I, Carol? I, I, I mean, what about our friend Carol? I would do that. Carol Baskin? I'd watch that. Yeah, I would just say that, you know, only one year has passed True. since that. True. You know, I'm just I'm just kind of saying, like, as far as people that can, that we you have You know who I'd like in. to see? Who? That guy who gave the guy who kidnapped his daughter a hand job. Yeah. I'd like to see what he's up to <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Isn't he dead? Oh, my God. <laughs> sure. Of course, yeah. you're talking about uh, Abducted in Plain Sight. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. One Oof. of the most wild documentaries in Netflix history. Yeah, the father has passed away, by the way. So. Oh, he okay. has? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is it the ghost? Then. Maybe a documentary yeah, the ghost. about his ghost. Yeah, talking yeah. to his ghost. But look, if we're going to follow Sheila around, there ought to be some purpose to it. There ought to be some sort of tension or conflict or something that is revealed in a documentary. As opposed, Otherwise, this is just a home movie. And I felt like there's still a lot of interesting points about Sheila, about sort of the gestalt of Sheila, and that while sometimes some of the people along the press tour brought those things up and posed questions to her, she ultimately dodged them, and the filmmakers dodged it as well by not challenging or providing any context. Why do you make this judgment, young man? Were you there? Had you seen? No, no, no. no had, um, had you see, uh, have you seen anyone do it? But after 35 years, people are still talking about it. They have not moved an inch away. Lara, so to me, like a lot of this was about or maybe should have been framed through the lens of like, Look what happens to someone after there's a Netflix documentary about something they did like decades ago. Like, look what their mm-hmm. life looks like now. To me, like, that's an interesting frame. And when I was watching it, I kept thinking, like, I hope that's what they're trying to do here because that's what's interesting about it to me. But then, as Kevin said, we see Sheila at all these book events being asked about her alleged crimes and her role in the cult by reporters. And she doesn't want to talk about it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I thought that was pretty naive, but also at the same time, super telling about her personality and just how she is. Because I'm like, what do you think these people are going to want to talk about? You were just in this documentary. You have written a book. You're like emerging from Switzerland to go back to India for the first time in 35 years. Of course, they're going to ask you about that. And her answers are just like, oh, why can't people get over that? Like, let's move on. And I'm like, well, let's move on. You need to give a better answer as to why they should move on. And, you know, it was just but I I was also just struck by I mean, I just felt like it just showed like classic Sheila. And you kind of even if it's frustrating that she won't talk about what happened, talk about her jail time, talk about the accusations, you have to kind of admire that she's still a badass. She's still very independent. She's still controlling the narrative of what's happening. And she's super blunt and doesn't give a damn. Like when she's like, oh, like his eyes are better than his penis of the Bhagwan. I was already drowning in him. What more do I want? His eyes were probably more beautiful than his penis was. I'm not sure. I don't know. I have never (laughs) seen it. But it's like she still says stuff just to shock just because yeah. she can. And and so she's still trying to kind of spin things 
in the Sheila way. Toby, what do you think she's trying to accomplish with this whole tour and being in this documentary? I have the foggiest idea. Mm. I mean, I, I, it seems like redemption would be the thing, but she's very clear that she doesn't need to be redeemed because you have to be guilty to be redeemed and she's not guilty, so there's no redemption. Uh, I think her work in Switzerland seems to kind of belie that a little bit. It seems like she is looking to perhaps make amends for stuff she's done in the past. You know, one thing that I wish... Like, I don't know, this, this is such a minor thing, right? This this whole show is just such a minor, it's like following her around and taking some video of her and stuff. I mean, right. it doesn't seem like it's it's not ambitious, it's nothing. I, I have no clue, what do people in India think of her? Yeah. What's her claim to celebrity in India? Why are these really rich, sort of glamorous women showing up to meet her and talk to her? Like, what's, what's that attraction? Like, that's like is she a feminist it, icon? Is that what you find yourself wondering? It wouldn't happen in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, so I, I, I'm left with a lot of questions. She just didn't seem very interesting, quite honestly. Mm. I mean, it, it just kind of seemed like, oh, yeah, this thing happened to me a long time ago, and I still have some of that personality, but I don't really have anything much to say about all that stuff that would be interesting for anybody to hear. So what you're kind of left with is sort of this character study and somebody who's, I don't know if cashing in is quite the right word, but but trying to make the most of this moment, but without actually talking about anything that anybody's interested in yeah. about that moment. So Kevin, I found myself wondering this because first of all, Toby, good for you for pointing this out because I find myself wondering, like, she's only interacting with a very small, like, subset of people on this tour, right? They're mostly rich. They're mostly showing up at literary events or like in these fancy houses. And you see her in, or on stage. She's talking to like, you know, a reporter and everyone's clapping for it's her. It's a conventional book tour. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very conventional. But what I found myself wondering is, like, is she retconning her own history in these mm-hmm. conversations? What do you think, Kevin? Well... And that- for those people who don't know what retconning means, it means retroactive continuity. It's a term used when, on television shows, typically the writers do something that basically changes things that happened in the past that the viewer has seen in the past, but they make it so that, like, the viewer is supposed to believe that they never saw the thing, and it's a problem. Richie Cunningham doesn't have an older brother. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know if retcon is like the appropriate term. I don't think it's on point. But as far as like reshaping what she did, perhaps. But I think that primarily it's just that she remains unrepentant. She gets posed this hypothetical question about whether she would poison a bunch of people in the surrounding town if it meant saving the commune. And her response was really telling. You said you weren't going to ask me. I didn't ask you whether you did it. I said, if it needed to be done, would you do it? I'm not, I'm asking you a hypothetical question. No. I did not do it. I would not do it. And the idea that she would just kind of blow it off and not and not be contrite that's what's kind of missing from the redemption tour right it's not a redemption tour she doesn't feel that she needs to address anything and the reason is she said she served her time in prison so therefore she doesn't have to do anything more her, her debt is paid on all fronts hmm. not on the criminal front i mean it is on the criminal front but on the moral and karmic front it's all done and you know you couldn't you wouldn't be granted parole if you were like tough titties right but she is yeah and so i think that's sort of the problem with Sheila is that she's likable because she's colorful that we have a hard time and i don't i get you know 
I love you and I and I respect you and the idea that you you know you in some ways look up to Sheila. I don't look up to okay. her. I just think she's a great character. She's a great character, right? <laughs> but yeah, great for her as far as you know rising through the ranks of a cult and you know getting to be senior management or whatever. But do we like say Allison Mack is fantastic? No, she became number two at Nexium. We do not. It's it's different, and you know, sort of the idea that she was never charged with her. She never did time for it, but she did okay a bioterrorist attack on people in Oregon, where seven hundred and fifty people got sick from salmonella or whatever the disease was at salad bars, and to sort of be like it doesn't matter. Well. It's kind of like, eh, that's not what I wanted to do. Kevin, not to mention the financial and personal grift that thousands of people were subject to, including all those like homeless people that they shipped in from LA just to like make it so they could win local elections. They did a lot of beer. Yeah, they did a lot of shitty stuff. Rajneesh, she's this cult did a lot of shitty stuff. She definitely doesn't address it. Laura, do you think she's trying to retcon her past as if. I mean, one of the things that I kept noticing is that all the journalists and everybody, they were asking her these very detailed questions, not about real life events, but about things that they'd clearly seen in the documentary. Like, you know, did you have a sexual relationship? Was that weird? Like, you know, they weren't asking her more global questions about like, so what about this fucking cult that grifted and hurt people for many, many years? Do you feel like she's just trying to retcon that whole part of history? Yes, Um, Yeah, it's hard because going into this documentary, you know, we see these what I felt like were very poignant, compassionate scenes with her in this care home for these like developmentally disabled senior citizens. And she's very gentle and she's right in the middle. and, And I'm thinking, my gosh, she looks like she's She's changed and she's like a changed woman and, and, and she seems very sincere when she's interacting with these these elderly people. And then the whole rest of the documentary is her just not wanting to make any sort of amends or restitution for what happened when she was with the Rajneeshi. So I kind of feel like and I already said this, but like, what do you think people are going to talk about when you put yourself out there writing a book? Of course, they're going to want to talk about that. But it was just so clear that that is not what she wanted to talk about. Guys, don't you think that of all the documentaries that we saw, the ones that do well, that don't have narration or don't do two camera interviews to provide context, the action that we see has to be self-evident of what the story is and the conflicts and the things that are resolved. And we just, right, we just don't have that here, right? No, there was no action. I thought that your comparison earlier to it being like a series of home movies spliced together was Mm. totally accurate because I was like, like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. It's the longest Instagram story ever posted. Yeah, I I was like, wow, I like her hairstyle. That's nice (laughs) hair. Her hair's pretty neat. Toby, what do you think? Well, I just, you know, I mean, one of the things, I mean, it's so short. And they've obviously gone to a whole bunch of events. So a lot of what's going on here is the editing, cutting down, deciding what they're going to show of what she says and what her interactions are. So, you know, to a certain extent, it's like, you know, they can't possibly be capturing the full deal of what's going on on this tour. I mean, they've kind of got a few things that they're kind of hitting on. She doesn't want to talk about this thing. She's still kind of irreverent when she talks about the Bhagwan. You know, she's not willing to concede an inch to the Bhagwan. You know, she's she still maintains that 
it was kind of a mutual relationship and that she wasn't like, you know, just enthralled. Completely, yeah. I mean, she was in his thrall, but, but, but it was vice versa too. You know, it was like this. So, you know, that being said, I mean, it's just so strange that when you're going to do cut down what it was obviously like hours and hours of tape into this quite short documentary that they couldn't find anything to produce any drama. Hmm. Like there, there's no point at which it's like, I wonder what's going to happen next. Yeah. Or, you know, where is this going? Like there's there's n- absolutely none of that. Toby, just quick question. Do you think Sheila is lying here or do you think she's deluded? About what? About like everything that. Like when she's answering questions about her role in the Rajneeshis and whether or not she had this relationship with the Bhagwana, like, do you think oh, yeah. she's lying? I mean, clearly there are some things she's saying that we have seen the video, like, right. don't really match up. Is she lying on purpose or do you think she's deluded? I mean, I think that's a hard one. And I think it can be kind of a little bit of each. I mean, I think uh, my guess would be is that she spent like years and years and years sort of trying to come to terms with what happened and probably in her own mind coming up with reasons why they happened that kind of exculpate her somewhat. So I guess that points towards being deluded, uh, like deluding yourself as to your culpability. So that, I guess that would be my guess. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that the filmmakers missed here was a was an opportunity to sort of ponder what it means to be forgiven because there was a bit of a point she had when she said like you know that was 30 years ago and I did my time and whatever I I didn't care for the way that she presented that because she seemed dismissive but the idea of how long do we punish somebody for their crimes we've looked at a lot of different subjects who had committed crimes and then tried to redeem themselves afterwards. So somebody like Suave is the mm. most recent that I can think of. But people like that, and we're willing to be empathetic to that. And again, I don't know if part of it is because she doesn't seem to be contrite about what she did, but at what point do we, as polite society, say, it's okay, come back into the fold, and you're no longer a villain? I don't think they touched on that. I think it was an opportunity to go somewhere, but there was, other than throwing in the question with no follow-up, I think it just kind of evaporated. Mm. Well, I think on that note, we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Finding Sheila on Netflix? It's a very short documentary that follows up on a wildly popular series uh, called Wild Wild Country. If you've seen it, you'll get this documentary. If you haven't seen it, you will not understand this documentary. Laura Berger, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Finding Sheila? I'm leaning towards like a thumb sideways to a thumbs down on this one. I think if you I watch- don't have an emoji for that, Laura. What the it's fuck? Okay. She Take a s- position. Sideways it's, is fine. This is a, I'm giving it a elderly man uh, who needs uh, Viagra uh, 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 uh. rating. So it's kind of going it's like this. It's a limp dick? Okay. Like it's, semi-flaccid? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? I, it's go, I'm marking that as down. Down. <laughs> I, you know what? I have to tell Like, I watched this, and I was, like, kind of, like, waiting for something to happen. And I, I mean, I will say, I was curious about what Sheila was doing now, because I did find her to be a really interesting character in Wild Wild Country. But the way that this documentary was put together, I don't feel like I learned a whole lot. I mean, there were some interesting scenes of her working in the care home in Switzerland, but the rest of it was just sort of like free form to me. And I just felt like it needed a more of a structure or at least somebody putting out the opposing view of hmm. her role in the Rajneeshi. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Finding Sheila? 
You know, I give them credit for not sensationalizing this, but maybe they could have sensationalized it a tiny bit. Um, <laughs> That's going to be my new like ringtone for Toby. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side, Ball. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't know. I mean, I, I again, I, I kind of see how on paper it, it probably would have seemed intriguing, but I think... The reality, either because that's just the way it was or the way they edited it or whatever, I mean, it's just, there's just not much there. It's just not very interesting. I just feel like there's something better you can do with your 58 minutes. So uh, that's a that's a thumbs down for me. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I was coming in thumbs sideways and everybody convinced me that I was just, <laughs> I was just too optimistic. Yeah, it's a thumbs down. Look, I mean, it's called searching for Sheila, but they never really do any sort of searching. They kind of... <laughs> she's right there. No, she's right there the whole well, time. Following yeah. Sheila. Following <laughs> Sheila. Well, look, they leave the job of peeling the onion back to spectators who are there asking questions at press gatherings and cocktail parties, and it goes unchallenged, and so we don't really get any depth. She's a very colorful character. Great. She said tough titties on Donahue. In the That's set. not the only thing that makes her colorful. Stop using that same There's a reference. lot. There's a lot. Okay, I don't know. She's She tried to kill a whole bunch of people at a salad bar. And That's she got, colorful. yeah. That's great. She gave everybody the shits in Oregon. So <laughs> tough titties. Look, she got everyone to build an airport. I mean, come that's on. amazing. I know. Look, <laughs> I know it's amazing. It was an amazing documentary. The story was fantastic. This is a real letdown because all of the things that Sheila embodies and she is an interesting character for those reasons. None of it really gets touched here. Hmm. It's 58 minutes, but it's still too long. All right. I'm going to. Break the mold and say thumb sideways on this. Only because, A, I didn't hate it. I actually enjoyed watching it as, as I was watching it. No, I did not learn a lot that was new. But I do love the- I, No, I love the concept of taking somebody who was a breakout character in a viral documentary and doing this kind of thing where it's like how, like she would never have been able to write this book or be on this tour or do any of these things, having any of these conversations. She would have been forgotten to history working in that nursing home had she not been a figure in this documentary, Wild Wild Country. So to me, it is an interesting idea to take that breakout character and just do like a tight package like what does their life look like right now and like we saw in wild wild country that sheila was like wiping dying people's mouths and doing hospice care and now we see that she also has this other component of her life of going to glamorous parties and sitting on stages and being interviewed for that alone that window into what something like wild wild country can do to like change the contours of somebody's life i found that part of it really interesting i do agree with you guys that it could have done more <laughs> with it but for that, that reason alone and for the fact that i will continue to find sheila fascinating for the rest of my life i'm giving searching for sheila a thumb sideways but rebecca would you want sheila to be the last voice you hear as you're dying no <laughs> no no <laughs> well there you go <laughs> Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.
Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Kevin Flynn, here we are in the business section of the podcast. Business section, business time. So, Kevin, what have we got going on on our Crime Writers on After Show this week for the people who join us on Patreon? Well, the Crime Writers on After Show, which is in your Patreon feed right now, we're going to be talking about what happened with Hold Still Vincent, Uh, the podcast that we had planned on reviewing this week, but its producers pulled it off. Of the platform. So, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on behind that. We also have some insight into the author of the book, The Woman in the Window. Apparently, there's some crazy backstory on oh, him. Let me just say, Kevin does not know this. For all the listeners listening right now who read the amazing New Yorker article about AJ Finn after The Woman in the Window, the book came out. Kevin does not know anything about the incredibly wild story around this guy. So just like we used to tell Toby what happened in Game of Thrones, we're going to tell you, Kevin, about this dude, A.J. Finn. Excellent. It's going to blow your mind. We also have news from Hollywood before we go on the air here. The cast of the uh, dramatic adaptation of Tiger King... The Kate McKinnon Project, uh, that cast has been announced, and I'll tell you who's on it. Nice. Also, in your Patreon feed, we have the new edition of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. They talked about the story in the book Veritas. Mm -hmm. It has to do with the finding of a Gnostic gospel, the gospel of Jesus' wife. Hmm. But was it real? I don't know. You have to ask the swinger in Miami, apparently. It's a really interesting story, right, Toby? It's a very interesting story. It's got the Gnostics. It's got East Germany. It's got uh, swingers in Florida. Toby uh, researched the Harvard. swingers a lot. He did. Yes. yes. A lot yes. of background. He always does. Yes. A lot of background. Just like you and me, hun. The cookies. Well, let's say the cookies Here, on his put computer. Put your keys in this bowl. That's why they call it the deep dive. <laughs> keys in the bowl. I also want to let you know that uh, you know we talk about Patreon a lot, but if you haven't had a chance to you know join Patreon, you're wondering what kind of content is there. In two weeks, I guess it's two weeks from today, after Father's Day, the week after Father's Day, last full week in June, we're going to have our free preview where you'll be able to go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you'll get to listen to selected shows that we've put there so you get an idea of what you're missing out on. It's like dipping your toe into the champagne room. Yes. For free. So, Kevin, what about people who are members? Are they going to be pissed that we're giving away this stuff for free? You mean like when you have HBO and then you see the HBO free weekend, do you call? no. Never mad about that. You're that that asshole. No, I'm not. Okay. I I will be honest. I think this is a freaking great idea. (laughs) If you're really that upset that some people are going to get contact me. I'll give you your five bucks back for that month. But all right, but you know, I'll know who you are. The whole thing, we're like just like eight. No, just a couple of the good the good things here. So Sasquatch Meredith podcast. Last thing I want to mention in the business section before we get to our patron saints is that the True Crime Podcast Festival for 2021 is back on. We will not be able to attend in person, but if you want to go to Kansas City and meet a lot of the folks from your favorite podcasts and get involved in different panels and whatnot, our friend Lisa Strawn is back, and this is going to be, like I said, in Kansas City, 
July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And you know, I'd say start making your plans now. We want to give her a plug because she's absolutely, lovely. Absolutely. Absolutely. We 100% would be there in just sort of a different kind of world. So go to truecrimepodcastfestival.com to get all the details and get tickets and uh, find out more about what is sure to be a great event. So, Kevin, there's one thing that we also want to tell our listeners, remind them every week that they can do for free. Yeah. And that is sign up for our baller newsletter. How can people do that for free? Hey, you just go to crimewriterson.com, the top of the page. Just stick in your email address. That's all we need. We don't need your social security number. We're not going to sell your email address. Don't need your credit card. Don't need any of that. We're just going to send you a, a big rundown on all the stuff from the show, including photos of our cat of the week and uh, what's going on on Patreon and some other cool stuff. You know what it is? It's a universe expansion. Because sometimes things happen to us after we tape the show, and then you put it in the newsletter. You know, We have a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Exactly. All right, Kevin, before we continue the show, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? We do. Sherry Maple and Emma Cassidy. Bless you. I'm so happy. They're so holy. Are they not? They are. They've been blessed. All right, let's get back to the show. Fade that music out. Moving on. What the fuck, Carl? Curiosity is evidence of a decreased depression pattern. People who snoop on their neighbors don't kill themselves? (laughs) Let's try this. People who attempt suicide lose the right to joke about it. A child psychologist watches the world from inside her Harlem brownstone, gripped with her own crippling case of agoraphobia. Anna Fox is soon visited by her new neighbors, an awkward teen, his effusive mother, and a controlling father who exudes a sense of menace. I'm sorry to bother you. I I just wanted to know. I'm I'm just curious if any of my families come around to see you this evening. No. When Anna witnesses a crime across the street, police are reluctant to believe her. The troubled woman is deeply medicated and the victim may have been a figment of her imagination. Hmm? No, I know what I saw. Nothing's happened to anyone. No, I, I was zoomed in with, with the camera. Did you take a picture? No, I She's did not take a picture. Admitted. She's spying on our house. Why didn't you take Please, a picture? Just, the important thing is, is that everybody's okay. Yeah. The film The Woman in the Window from Netflix and 20th Century Fox puts its own spin on the rear window thriller formula. The motion picture stars Amy Adams as the vulnerable homeowner, unsure if she's being gaslit or targeted, and Gary Oldman as the threatening neighbor across the street. Julianne Moore, too, by the way. We're going to be talking about plot points for The Woman in the Window, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. Kevin, yeah, we need to just come out of the gate with the cast in this movie. Multiple Academy Award winners slash nominees. Gary Oldman, yeah. Julianne Moore, Amy Adams. Like, all-star freaking Paper cast. Paperboy from Atlanta. Oh, oh my God. Detective Paperboy. <laughs> uh, by the way, I want Atlanta to come back so badly and seeing Paperboy in this. Brian Tariq. He's incredible. Henry, yeah. I yeah, do yeah. believe, by the way, that every cast member of Atlanta will eventually be nominated for an Academy Award, as one was this year. Yeah. So anyway, Kevin... Huge, huge, huge cast. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee, by the way. In a very, very strange film. Yeah. I mean, look, okay, so to paraphrase somebody else on this panel, uh, this has been done before, and it doesn't really improve the formula. 
It's been done before, and like several. It's a mashup of things that have been done. Well, before. look, I mean, it's obviously in the vein of Rear Window, where you have a person who is confined to a home and sees something out the window, and now is in terrible danger because hey, they're trapped in the home, and they know something that they shouldn't know. Nobody's ever made a better movie about birds attacking people in a town. <laughs> And nobody's ever made a better movie about going to a motel and getting murdered by, you know, a psycho. They called it psycho. Although people have, you know, indulged in these themes. You just can't top Hitchcock. Brian De Palma tried. He's got a couple of great movies. I mean, great movies. But he does a fairly good job of sort of taking the Hitchcockian style and putting it in here. This, you know, is just sort of so derivative that in order for this to be really exciting, you got to do something new. You got to really punch through. It's a good cast, but there's not a lot to work with here. Toby Ball, um, we should just say it. This movie sucks. When did you realize it sucked, Toby Ball? <laughs> it's rare that I feel like I can point to the exact second when a movie just started to suck. When is it? And it's where Amy Adams realizes that her family is actually dead. And mm. uh, she looks into her living room and there's a car in the snow that's crashed. I talked to your doctor, Dr. Landy, and you have had a hell of a time. And I think you actually believe that you met this lady, just like how you believe you're talking to your family. It took you an hour to realize this movie sucked. Okay. Well, I thought up until then... It was at least like kind of weird and claustrophobic, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I'm not sure that I was like riveted by the plot or anything, but it was just, it was interesting. You know, I thought Julianne Moore was incredibly awesome in this. She's I mean, great I thought, in everything. That's right. She's great in everything, but she does this in a role that could have been like just awful. She just, she's so weird that it makes everything seem a little dreamlike. Anyway, so at that point, it went from being like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen here to, this just like went way off the rails and it just never got better. And this is a really bad, bad movie. I don't mm. know how they got these people involved in it, but we'll, I'm sure we'll explore that. We will explore that. Laura, um, this seems on paper like something you would like, right? And by, by the way, we should also say you'll watch anything. <laughs> I, I will watch anything. And I have to tell you that in the beginning of this movie, I thought, I think I might like this. I like Amy Adams. I liked the setting. I kind of like I was relating to this concept of, you know, being um, agoraphobic. Not that I am like that, but I was really relating to being in your house and spying yes. on your neighbors. And we I was, all were. It's uh, a movie. It could have been a movie was. for the time, yeah. for sure. And and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is my life. Like, my office is on our enclosed porch with windows. And, like, I can tell you what everybody around here is doing. And I'm like, oh, something new is happening today. So mm -hmm. I was, like, really relating to that. In the beginning, I was like, oh, this is fitting into that sort of domestic, suburban, suspense sort of genre, like Big Little Lies, Gone Girl, Girl on the Train. And I, But then, I don't know. I think for me, the moment was, for some reason, the son, Ethan, from across the street, that's when I was like, yeah, this is going downhill. Hmm. So can I just say, have any of you read the book, Women Who Know Besides Me? Mm, not me. Okay. So there's something really weird about the way that this movie was put together that yeah. I wonder if it was decisions made in editing or decisions made in script writing. It's very hard to know. The book is long. 
And everything we see in the movie is a super condensed version of the book. Can I ask a question about the book, though? Go for it. So is it written with a lot of like first person interiority that yes. it's like, okay. Yes. So, and so she's an unreliable narrator yes. within the book. Okay. The book is basically a ripoff of okay. three things. It's hard to sort of like come out of her head and right. then show that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. The book is a ripoff of three things. It's a ripoff of Rear Window. Rear Window. It's a ripoff of Girl on the Train. And it's a ripoff, most notably, of the 1990s thriller called Copycat, starring Sigourney Weaver oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. as a, by the way, agoraphobic therapist stuck in her apartment. Um, so in the book, like you just, the book is, by the way, fucking terrible. But okay. you get more that explains <laughs> things. Like, first of all, like in the book, you really do get a sense that the character played by Amy Adams actually is a therapist, which we get zero percent of in the movie you ever see her doing any therapy or working in any way in the book you kind of have a sense of like more of a relationship with her family and in the book she spends hours and hours and hours and days with the young boy living across the street and in the movie we see her in literally one scene with him Mm -hmm. before we get the real with him it's just so fucking weird to me like i found myself wondering did they write the screenplay in this super condensed accordion way or did they film the screenplay at, like the book and then someone decided in editing, oh, we don't need this whole character development thing. Let's just fucking cut that part. I found that very, Do very a montage. <laughs> it was like a montage. So Toby, like you made a note that like you don't get to know any of the characters in this film, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no... Not not that there's any real suspense about who did it, because there's really, it's either one guy or it's another guy. And yeah. the one guy seems like the obvious guy, so it's probably the other guy. And <laughs> you mean the, you mean the downstairs starts, tenant, you think, is the other guy? No, I was just thinking it's either the dad or the son. Okay. Uh, I didn't think it was the... Because the the downstairs tenant, I don't think was going to be across the street in the apartment, conveniently hidden by the the centerpiece of the window, so you can't see who's doing. I mean, it's just so f- stupid. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> but it's like like the whole idea is that it's supposed to be like primal fear, where right. you thought the kid was like one way, but it turns out he's actually another way, and then he's great acting movie. when he's like innocent. Like so, primal fear, as Kevin said, great movie because you got to know. The kid, and then it was surprising when he turned out to be evil, right? Yeah. I mean, was, that was shocking. It was Edward that Norton's was, breakout role, right? I he say. was it, nominated for an Oscar for that role. Yeah. It was fantastic. In, in this one, it could have been freaking Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. There's like one scene where you see him where he's acting one way, and then you're supposed to be surprised later when he turns out he's not that way. It's just like there, you have no investment in it. You have seen maybe like five minutes of him acting in a certain way, so that when he acts in a different way, it's like. All right. I guess, like, what am I supposed to make of this? The whole thing is just a big head scratcher for me. It's so bad. Hmm. So, uh, Kevin, Toby made note of the awesome Julianne Moore, which, by the yeah. way, the, you, she, you can put her in a pile of shit and she would be awesome in that pile of shit. That's uh, same way with Kate Winslet, by the way, who won an Oscar for like a terrible movie that she was in. But Julianne Moore is also another one of those actresses. But the conceit here is same in the book because it's an unreliable narrator. She comes over and they have a time drinking together or whatever. I mean, but Jane Russell. Jane Russell. The quote-unquote mother. The mother comes Ethan's over. Mother, right? yeah. And uh, then Amy Adams' character, like the whole idea is that later she wonders and doubts herself whether or not the encounter right. actually happened. Because everybody does. Yeah. Can I tell you why I think that they, how they messed that up or how they could have like How they also messed yeah. that up, you mean? Well, look- <laughs> 
we're a sophisticated audience, right? We're watching this, and the problem is if later you want us to start doubting ourselves along with Anne, who doubts herself, there's no kind of like um, like in the sixth sense, there's no sort of kind of like play where we could go back and start doubting ourselves. Like I just say like one thing. If Anna had come downstairs like the next day, like after this a nice meeting and playing cards and drinking wine with Jane Russell, if she came back down and the wine glass on the other side of the table was full and you wa- and for a split second and it just planted in your head, maybe there was nobody there to drink it. Yeah. And she just had this very much like like in the sixth sense, you realize later, oh, Bruce Willis never touched anything. Yeah. He just, you know. If you watch it the second time, right. you see all the if signs. If you're thinking goes, that. Yeah. But in the end, it just ends up being, okay, Jane Jane Russell gets killed and says, oh, it's not my, it's not my wife. We're immediately to, well, then who was she? Right. Not, we're never like, well, she was a figment of her imagination. No, we, ne- we never, they never got viewer. there no, for us. No, yeah. I agree with that. And I actually do think that's one of the hallmarks of a great suspense film and by the way The Sixth Sense we should say also like a great movie maybe the only great movie except for maybe uh, the other one by there was only one kind of one little moment which was when she's on the phone with 911 121st street help is on the way ma'am I need you to calm down are you with your neighbor now she is across the street I already told you that and you were not listening to me Anna ma'am Anna did you stab your neighbor and I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, well, maybe this is sort of the thing, right? This is the twist. Because she doesn't know that. She's loopy or whatever she the hell. She doesn't her own address. Yeah. She doesn't, yeah, yeah. She's messing up the address. That's it. She did kill her. She's. We're going to find out she's the one. No, it wasn't even anything like that. Lara, did you think for a minute that her husband was real? With the way that, I mean, one of the things that disturbed me about the way the movie did this, because the book did it again, did it very differently, even though it's a shitty book, is that from the very first scene we hear her conversation with her husband, you find yourself wondering, like, why aren't they together? They seem to still mm-hmm. love each other. I wish you were here. Who does that help, saying that? I can beat myself up if I want. Go for it. It's just an audience of one. I'm not playing. Tell me to go outside. Why not make today the day you go outside? Did you find yourself being clued in by that? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was definitely something in the beginning. I was like, well, who's she talking to? I wasn't quite sure. And then I'm like, okay. Um, I think the thing in the beginning that for me, I was kind of thinking when we had the therapist come visit, there was like a brief minute where I thought this is an elaborate ruse by the therapist and the people across the street are all in on it. And this is how they're going to cure her of her agoraphobia. Oh, like Shutter Island. That would be a yeah, great plot point. That would be good. Yeah. So I was thinking like these aren't Bar Bricker, real. script doctor. Yeah. I was like, these aren't real people. These are hired people. Because uh, I there was a, that was like right after the scene with the therapist where he's like, you have to leave the house. And like, what's going to make you leave the house? And then I'm like, oh. A fire. Yeah. Or like, you know, but... It was just, yeah, and then it just, and I have to say, there was a moment at the end of the movie where I was just like, oh, and I I was watching it, like, Ken and Will were in the other room, and I, like, yelled out, Toby's gonna hate this part! (laughs) (laughs) The final finale scene, I was like, oh my god, I can't wait for Toby to watch this, (laughs) because it was so ridiculous, 
Anyway. It was so bad. Toby, there is an amazing um, thing on Twitter going around that I think is on TikTok of a, of a British comedian basically playing like the scene where Guy Pierce was pitched his role in Mayor of Easttown, where it's just like, so Guy, you're going to be a writer. And he's like, well, I'm going to be the murderer, right? And the guy's like, no, you're just going to be a writer. Well, they're going to find out later I have a dark past, right? He's like, no, you're just going to be a writer. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself thinking about that when thinking about um, why so many... Gary Oldman, Oscar-winning actor Gary Oldman, Oscar-winning actress Jennifer Jason Leigh, Oscar-winning actress Julianne Moore... Did you find yourself, Toby, like thinking like at some point in this process? Congratulations on playing Winston Churchill. Now you get to yell at this woman in a house coat. But they also are very small, like insignificant. It's not like their their small insignificant roles did anything. Did you find yourself asking yourself that question? So Julianne Moore, I can see. I mean, it's like kind of the classic cameo where she shows up and she like does this great thing and she's gone. You know, she probably shot for a day. Gary Oldman at least has got a... I, he's some anger it, scenes. Yeah. He's got some anger scenes. You literally could have gotten anybody to do it. Mm. Like you could have, you know, whatever. But those were seem to be the seem to me, Toby, to be the only scenes where there was any sort of real tension yeah. or conflict. It was and everybody was together looking at her. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, fine. Jennifer Jason Lee. I think she may say like five words, and none yeah. of them are dramatic at all. She's like, no, I'm really, I'm really the mother. You know, I'm really Jane Russell. And that's it. It's like, my God, like you could have literally just pulled anybody off the street to play that part. So why, why'd you get her? So I, again, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Actually, Jill, Julianne Moore is the only thing that makes sense to me about this entire movie. Yeah. I guess is the way I would put it. Yeah. I kept thinking, Kevin, like, um, so this was obviously a very high profile book, which we'll talk about in the after show, how bananas it was. It was such a high profile book. But I just kept thinking like everyone thought this was going to be a hit. Right, and this was filmed like pre-pandemic. Yeah, it was filmed like in 2019 or 2018. I think it was supposed to be a 2018. Yeah, release? it was supposed to come out a long time yeah. ago, and it's almost like they hit it and decided to put it out now. So no studios kind of do that; they sit on it for a little <laughs> bit and either pick a time where it's not going to be noticed financially, or maybe they thought, well, we'll have we have all of 2020 to. <laughs> Two reshoots. But it's like they ran out of like Belgian TV thrillers to throw out. I mean, it was like, I mean, they weren't even putting it out there when it was like, we've run out of content. You know, they held on to it even past that. Exactly. So, Kevin, you made a note that really surprised me. Yeah. Uh, You liked the performance of the 38-year-old playing the 15-year-old boy. Are you kidding me? He's that old? No, no, no. He just looks like he is. (laughs) I like to look. No, I'm just like you said. Julianne Moore did a great job as sort of like this sort of ethereal, flitty but mysterious wife that we get for one scene. I'll say like the early scene, or the, at least the early two scenes where Ethan comes in, and I guess the actor's name is Fred Hitchkinger. I don't know. Is he 38? I don't know. But I thought he played sort of this awkward kid. I thought he played that well. I mean, I actually thought that that performance was well. Later on. He gets to be a killer, and I don't know if that's any better if you just play a killer, but I actually, I you know, I was trying to find things about this that I liked. I don't think Amy Adams is bad in this, but she doesn't have anything good to work with. She's got with. one note. Fraught. Yeah. She's fraught. She's fraught. And you never get anything but fraught, and that is exhausting, and it's not cool. There's like, no, you're right. There's no relief. Yeah, if you- You need, when you have tension, you have to build in relief. Correct. Right? 
Correct. People who are listening learn so much exactly. about the shows they watch. When you watch the next thing, people remember. When you have tension, you need relief afterwards. Comic relief. Why? So you can go back to the tension. If not comic relief, then just sort of um, any kind emotional. of emotional. So yeah. even in Girl on the Train, which is you know a cheesy but very very fraught book with a very fraught narrator, a very fraught central character, you at least get flashbacks to her previous life. When that gives you the relief. You're like, she's fraught now. But then you get a scene where she was just like married and things were fine. And like, it gives you like the, uh-huh. up and you get none of that in this. Even the cat seems fraught, right, Laura? Weren't you so worried about cat. Punch and like what was oh, going to happen to him? God, I certainly was. I mean, because I was like, it was a white cat. And all I can think is blood. Yeah, yeah. Same, And I'm same. like, the only reason they have a white cat is because either the cat's going to get killed. The cat's going to step in blood. The cat's going to get splattered with blood. And, you know, the cat doesn't care that he, that she's agoraphobic. I mean, that's his life. But I was just like, ugh. Cat's one, cat is thrilled she's agoraphobic. Can I yeah. ask a question? Do you think the cat was named Punch because the cat looked like someone punched it in the face? That's what I kept thinking. Well, I had the grumpy cat face. Yeah, grumpy cat face. <laughs> why was the cat down? I couldn't figure out. Why was the cat down in the borders? For no reason, except that she I, could find the earring. But literally okay, for no other reason. Because I thought it was like, because it seemed like that was not something that happened ever before like that was unusual so it was like did he leave the door open for some reason and then it like nothing ever kind of came out of it this is an example of like is it script writing or is it editing you get a tiny little bit of this at the end but in the book like the kid is in her house all the fucking time and she doesn't know it like he after the first time he goes he's there all the time like spying on her taking pictures of her doing whatever gaslighting her and in that you're sort of supposed to assume that like when something like that happens the cat's in the wrong place later you figure out it's because the kid was there like leaving doors open or whatever you don't get any of that there's no closure there you never get the and literally it's just a device for her just to find the earring which and that, and that's did the they other... even show the earrings that Julianne Moore was wearing before he found the earring like barely like it wasn't well, just like on her ear she just made the thing about her yeah. boyfriend get whatever yeah. yeah I mean that, that was the other thing is that the whole like I'm in your house all the time thing doesn't hit because there's literally only one piece of evidence correct like it would have been so easy just to plant little things throughout like even something that she doesn't notice, but the audience notices, or just anything. And that would be like genuinely unsettling. But it's literally, it's only the fact that she got an anonymously emailed photo of herself sleeping. It's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, anyway, just another Listen, thing. Even Detective Paperboy, like, didn't figure it out. So, couldn't have been that Paperboy. obvious. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out? The Woman in the Window on Netflix. I have a feeling how this is going to go. Laura Bricker, <laughs> what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Woman in the Window on Netflix? Um, well, I mean, this did, I did watch this on the weekend of Memorial Day when we had rain straight for like three days. So, I mean, I didn't have a lot going on, but I'm going with the thumbs down. Hmm. It started off okay. I thought there was some promise. I thought it was going to fit into that sort of domestic suspense genre that has been really popular ever since Gone Girl. And then once we got to the finale scene of this, I just started like screaming, waking everybody in my house up. It was just so ridiculous. So I am going to say thumbs down. This was just absolutely ridiculous. Toby Ball. You know, I, I thought the first like half an hour was was okay, but it, it's so bad. And, uh, and like, literally, like, if you got two hours to kill and you're thinking about watching this movie, I would just watch Searching for Sheila twice <laughs> and, uh, and then you'll be better off. So mm. thumbs down. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm going thumbs down. I think that I was still kind of in it because I was there for the setup. 
and building it up, but it just it did not go anywhere. The cast of characters is too small for a proper mystery because we have to figure out who did it or why. The unreliable narrator was not made unreliable enough. The world that was built around her did not build that suspense. I don't know. Again, just it's a ripoff of Rear Window, and if you're gonna like, if you're gonna shoot at the greats, you better come proper. You better come correct. And this film did not do that. Um, I'm gonna say, watch Rear Window, watch Copycat. They're both a hundred times better than this movie. And even though uh, Girl on the Train is just an okay book and just an okay film adaptation, it's also about a hundred and fifty times better than this movie. This movie is worse than Rebecca, the other Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the redo of the Alfred Hitchcock movie that we panned a few months ago. With it's, the cannibal in it? It's worse than that. Oh, with Ar- Army Hammer, yeah. It's worse than Rebecca, and that is saying a fucking lot for a movie that stars multiple Oscar winners and nominees and is based on a best-selling book that was also bad, but at least someone should have done something with it to make a good movie. I cannot unrecommend The Woman in the Window enough, except I will say it is fun to watch and talk about. So maybe just do that and then like email us or tweet us just so we can talk about Create it. your own podcast. It's that bad. This, yeah, it is that right. bad. Anyway, huge thumbs down for me for The Woman in the Window. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. The crime of the week. Law enforcement in Wisconsin got a hand in ending a 13-mile car chase when the suspect drove into farm country. The Barron County Sheriff said the driver gave up when he was surrounded by a herd of cows. (laughs) That's your sheep, Kevin. Authorities were able to charge him with a moving violation. Now that his department's finest have been replaced with the bovinest... (laughs) The sheriff is milking the publicity for all it's worth. By the way, you wrote that and then you laugh at it. It's the best. Commenters on its Facebook page say the arrest was, quote, utterly humiliating. Officials say no humans or cows were hurt in the incident. So the farmer couldn't be prouder of his crime-fighting cows. Panel, what crime would your pet foil? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, uh, coming in right now is Rocky Flintstone, the cat, and he would foil any attempt at kidnapping Fireman Ken mm. because he is always with him and it is his most favorite person in the world. And he's also really good on like stakeouts. Yeah, you know what's good on a stakeout? A cow. <laughs> Get a beef cat. Okay, never mind. So tell me, Ball, what crime or crimes would your pet or pets foil? I don't think they'd do it willingly. I think you'd have to flip one of them to turn in another one, probably for the the multiple beheaded uh, (laughs) rodents in our yard. So you'd have to, one of them would have to turn state's evidence. A snitch Mm. on the other, yeah. Exactly. What do you think, Kevin? I think our dog would foil the case of the doorbell bandit. (laughs) Our dog would foil the case of the sign for this package UPS driver who fucking hates coming to our house yeah. right now. They hate it. All right. Well, I think that does it for us. But before we end the show, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a dog of the week this week. Yay! My favorite animal. Yes. It comes to us from... Surprise! My favorite Surprise! Animal. Once again. Um, but this one was just too good to pass up on. I had so many good uh, nominations last week. But Jen the Wicked, I don't know her real name, has sent a video of her mini poodle, Bucky, and his reaction to a yodeling pickle. What? 
And Bucky, Bucky uh, tried to basically take down the yodeling pickle. And it was like one of those videos where she was holding it up on the couch and the dog just like toppled her. Number one, I think we all are going to get yodeling pickles for Christmas. And good job, Bucky, because that was like a crime solving from our crime of the week right there. Bucky would take down any suspicious pickles in his house. So good job, Bucky. All right, Laura Bricker, folks want to pitch their pets, any kind of pet, to be Cat of the Week or any kind of animal that lives in their neighborhood. Of course, they can send us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com. But if they want to tweet it to you, for instance, how would they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if fellow mayor of Easttown haters want to reach out to you and commiserate over their family also hating them for their feelings about that beloved show, how can they find you on Twitter? I gave it a thumbs up um, <laughs> at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and get some baseball umpiring tips, how can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our truly amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You will get the Crime Writers On after show married with podcast Lara Bricker Leave It to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Kevin, how many episodes do we have on Patreon right now? More than 200. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we can't spy on our neighbors because it's a closet in our New Hampshire basement. In our basement, yeah. <laughs> on behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Hey, when I was making dinner tonight, so the recipe um, Blue had some, some asparagus in it. So it said to cut off the uh, or snap off the woodsy part. Yep. So I snapped off the top part that looks like trees, <laughs> and I guess I left the part you can't really eat. Oh no! Our vegetables was like full of bamboo. <laughs> and then, as I uh, I got these new sh- shoes, they're like all white, you know, like it's the white sole. And I dropped a potato, and then I stepped in it, and it was like a potato that had been covered like with all sorts of uh, orangey brown uh, Spanish seasoning. And it was like it was like a Nirvana song. A potato mm. and tomato <laughs> and mosquito. The thing is, these and are partners in crime media. media.